Welcome to the Lucky Titan Podcast. Here you will learn how to fill your favorite platform with tons of your dream customers from some of the world's top entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Josh Tapp. Now let's get started. What is up, everybody? Josh Tapp here again, and welcome back to the Lucky Titan. Today, we're here with Tamika Awai, which that name was really hard for me to figure out before we hopped on the call. So I was excited we got to talk talk through that, Tamika, before we hopped on. But Tamika is my friend from the Great White North. We just ended up meeting up today. And if you all remember Sarah Yamtich in the interview we did with her, she's a friend of Sarah. So obviously, she's going to bring great value the way Sarah did. So I'm excited to have you here, Tamika. First off, say what's up to everybody, and we'll hop in. Hey, hey, folks. So happy to be here, Josh. Yeah, this is going to be an exciting one. And one of the big reasons, Tamika, that I was excited about having you on, not just because you're a friend with Sarah, but was the fact that you've really built a business with a unique model that I wish more people would employ, which Mm -hmm. isn't just a done for you model, isn't a done with you model. It's really kind of an old school consulting model but it's working really well. Right. And, and yeah. I'm excited. It kind of has its own twist. So I'm excited to kind of hear your breakdown of how your offer actually works. So do you mind kind of breaking down for us, a, how you decided to move to this type of offer and then how you've been able to make it successful? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, and it's funny as you're saying, like, I guess, yeah, it is a little old school, right? Cause everyone's doing kind of the same thing on programs and coaching programs and that kind of thing. But really, Josh, the way that this sort of showed up, we got started with done for you work. I was doing, you know, done for you in my sphere was a little bit of consulting, right? We come up with a strategy and then we'd create a bunch of deliverables for people. Um, And I love doing it. You know, we had really great referrals, really great results, but it was really um, labor intensive meaning, you know, I wasn't creating all the deliverables, certainly. So we were relying on these contractors, eventually having independent contractors was too much. So we said, okay, let's loop in other agencies to do some of the doing for us. And just over time really felt like the profit was kind of going through, yeah, just running right out the business, taking care of these, these contractors. And the bigger piece on top of it, and maybe this is like my own kind of mindset thing, Josh, I don't know, but, <laughs> but, you know, we have a proprietary framework that we were perfecting, you know, over time and it's still from time to time we make tweaks and I'm kind of like the effort that it takes to consistently keep, you know, a contracting team, not just one person, but an entire agency fully abreast of like all of the new nuances of what we're doing to support our clients that started to feel really heavy as well. You know, one day we might bring back done for you stuff, but if we do, I really see it being, you know, an employee team that we can kind of, that can actually be in the process with us and help us, you know, fine tune our frameworks together versus always being in this place where I'm coming up with a thing and I'm teaching it to someone else. And it's like, oh no, we're refining it this way. It just got too much to sort of hold for me. And I was really, I'm in love with efficiency. Like efficiency is the sexiest word to me in business. So I'm really, I was like, what's a more efficient way to be able to deliver this? And also what's a more efficient way to be able to help more people. I was also in the place where, you know, I really wanted to start to, yeah, just to serve more people with what we do and knew that, yeah, what we had was really great and clunky, clunky and and a little bit more expensive than I wanted it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, what's cool is that that moment for you, and this is, I'm actually bringing a bunch of my old guests on to talk about this too, because I want to see how people have pivoted, you know, and that was one of those pivotal moments for you where you said, Hey, do I, do I maximize on the system and double down and, you know, maybe increase my prices and do all these things, or do I pivot to a more margin intensive model that, you know, obviously yields you more money. Right. Because I know at the end of the day, you know, when we were reaching up on that seven figure mark, I remember being like, 
wow, this isn't really a lot of money in my own pocket at the end of the day. You know, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot yeah. of work for a really low income and a million dollars doesn't go as far as you think it would. But then you could be running a business like yours where you can have these really high margins and that allows you to say, Hey, I don't have to work as often. I do have a lot more income coming in the door and you were probably making more now than I was in my previous you know, endeavors or whatever. Right. So it's such a unique way that you've decided to kind of go off in a different, you know, you've decided to pivot towards, towards more of a consulting model. Yeah. And so the consulting model really has us like, yeah, there's a bit of learning, I would say, you know, a bit of a learning component, right. Cause we need to have our clients understand the framework so that we can partner together as collaborators to help them customize it for their businesses. But once they've learned what they need to learn and they do that asynchronously, then we show up and we have touch points where we're giving them personalized consulting around, you know, their, you know, their business and how to um, implement the framework in their business. Um, And we're not doing it in a bunch of private calls. We're actually having conversations through Loom. We use Loom. We tell them, provide us with, you know, the answers to X, Y, and Z and where you're getting stuck. We'll give you the workaround that we've seen, you know, work or not work. And we kind of just work through adapting the framework for their business, you know, through a series of, um, you know, asynchronous video consulting sessions that they love really, uh, they love a lot because they don't have to get another call in the calendar. They can loop their team in really easily. Uh, You know, so we're getting really great feedback and getting, you know, a similar outcome, you know, the difference of course, is there's a little more heavy lifting for them to do themselves. But what I've really found, you know, I used to kind of live or die, but like, oh, we got it. We got to provide the deliverables. If we don't give them the deliverables and they're not going to feel served. And I realized that for a lot of the businesses that we work with, especially when they're past kind of the 500,000 mark, you know, getting into a million, they're starting to grow team. And it's actually really advantageous for their team to be looped in and to understand how to use the framework you know, how to customize it so that the team, like it becomes a project that we can all sort of do together. Like we're working on is not something that you just sort of create and then you let go. We're looking at foundational work. We're looking at the long game. And so it's helpful to have people on your team who understood where you started and can work with you to refine it till you end up with, you know, till you start seeing the results that you really want to see. Right. Yeah. I love that. Well, and then, you know, this kind of begs the question of, you know, your story behind this, right? Because mm-hmm. the truth is, is, I mean, you've built a model that works well. And I mean, you're, if people didn't already know this, right? So Arisha Creative is, is about copywriting, right? Creating nurturing campaigns, email nurturing campaigns for your business, which for those of you who have not used one of those, make sure you are <laughs> uh, first off, because it's highly, highly advantageous to you to be able to leverage the people who are already on your list. I know for myself, I constantly beat myself over the head when I don't send an email out. Every time I miss an email, I did, I should be emailing. Oh, that's a missed opportunity because I could be leveraging that time to make friends. And the way you're structured your business, Tamika, is, has been unique because like you said, you're sending Loom videos instead of doing Zoom videos, right? Or Zoom mm. conferences. That's the same way you're doing your emails, right? Is it's like, yeah. it's a nurturing thing and you're still, but you're leveraging your time instead of yes. having to be on calls 25 times a day, which I'm going to take a little bit of page out of your notebook on that one. So, <laughs> um, so that, that was good inspiration. I took a note of it. But I kind of want to know your story to make of copywriting, right? Like hmm. writing an email sequence, because that, in my opinion, copywriting is the number one skill any entrepreneur, any marketer should have. How did you get into it in the first place? Was it yeah. a degree or, or what did you do to start learning? It? So uh, kind of by accident, I do have to say though, like piggybacking, it's the number one skill that every business owner needs to have before they get big enough to hire, like to outsource. And I just want to bring that up because 
I think we're so quick to be like, I'm not great with words. I'm just going to hire a copywriter. Listen, man, you want to really understand or take the time to learn copywriting so that you can collaborate better with a copywriter. That's, you know, just got to drop a little sermon on that because (laughs) it's so important. And so, especially for sort of the personal brand expert, you know, type business owners, coaches, mentors, teachers, that sort of thing. Like you need to develop your voice so that someone else can put the words on paper. It doesn't happen the other way around. Anyhow, I found my way. <laughs> Cyber. Right. Cyber. Like, move soapbox. Jump off of it. <laughs> exactly. Jump off soapbox. Uh, yeah. So I found my way into copywriting really interestingly, I think. I do. I have a business degree. So I started out in business, you know, focused on marketing communication. So I had a little time in the corporate space. I was laid off in 08, just before I found I was pregnant with my first child. And so it was kind of like, oh, what am I going to do next? I don't, I don't know. Luckily, I'm Canadian. So they give us a lovely paid mat leave. So I had a year to figure it out, plus a paid, you know, pregnancy. So a little bit of time. But I basically, you know, I took my copy, I took my communication skills online. And I just, you know, I always had a love for writing. I actually, I'd wanted to go to school for journalism. I've got immigrant parents and they were like, what are you going to do beyond the news? Like they didn't, they didn't understand what that meant. Um, you know, I was like a magazine editor. My dad's like, are magazines like what is nobody buys those, you know? So I just I took a skill that I naturally had that I did use a little bit in in my corporate career. Um, and started I started blogging, I started writing, and eventually I um use sort of blogging and that sort of thing to build up a first business that was a like crash and burn fail kind of business when you don't know what you don't know. But through that business, that first business failing, I hired my first coach and I got introduced to the coaching world. And that was sort of at, you know, how the dots started to connect, right? Because I had been blogging, had a failed first business, fell in love with coaching. And when I was trying to figure out how to transition, like what my next business could be, a coach that I had hired or the, yeah, a coach that I had hired put out a role looking for a, a content creator. Was They were hiring a content creator on their team. And I was like, let me put my name in the hat. That'll give me, buy me some time before I have to figure out what I'm going to do, a little bit of a steady retainer. And so I stepped into their business and they were a seven figure you know, coach really super successful. And I got to see really the, like what goes on behind the scenes, what it really takes, uh, not just to, you know, sell online with copywriting, what conversion copywriting looks like. Although I learned a ton from that person, they themselves were, you know, a brilliant marketer and well-studied copywriter. So I really learned a lot from them. Um, But I also got to see kind of like where the gaps were in running a marketing department at a seven-figure kind of coaching business. So I was taking that in at the same time. But the copywriting piece really sort of blossomed when I shifted from kind of my first business and started, you know, kind of stepping into like, okay, well, yeah, what am I going to do next? What am I naturally good at? Yeah, it was kind of those things converged. And that was how I I found myself, yeah, as a content creator. Yeah. The reason I love asking this question because I feel like 99% of us whoops into the niche we're in. Mm-hmm. Always, <laughs> always. Some people are like, this is exactly what my plan, because I had every intention, because I, I did my undergrad in finance, I had every intention of running a business around something financially related. 
And I can't even do simple math in my head anymore. So I, I can't, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I don't know if uh, that really fits, but I end up in podcasting because I just loved listening to them and then I end up starting one and it did well. And it just kind of sucks you into, yeah. into the world. And then you start finding like, this is where I'm needed. Not necessarily always where you're like, well, this is where I want it to be, but it always ends up becoming so where you want to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was so interesting. I agree. Like I love to write, but I never, you know, saw it copywriting as it was like, oh no, I want to be a copywriter. Like not at all. Strategy was always something that I loved and was good at and thought, you know, maybe it'd be there. And, and so now, of course, we marry them both together and here we are. But yeah, the, it was interesting how that kind of showed up in my path and yeah, put things on a new trajectory that I hadn't really considered. Yeah. Well, then I do want to kind of shift this conversation then because I, I appreciate your responses to those. I, I'm curious what your methodology is behind building an actual email nurture sequence, because the truth is, is that everybody... I talk to it thinks email is dead <laughs> and which I just have found completely to the contrary. Right. I still think direct mail campaigns, like sending letters in the mail work well, <laughs> like they've worked well for us. So I I'm curious for you, what, you know, what's, what's your methodology, what's your process for getting people to where they have a nurtured campaign? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that we really look at, so yeah, you're right. People talk about email being dead. It's not, I think email is still the opportunity to knock on somebody's door, but in a way that they were like kind of expecting you versus, you know, social media, which to me is more like a billboard in Times Square. And it's like, they might see it, they might not email us that more direct approach. Really the methodology came to be trying to solve two problems that I noticed when I stepped into that content creator role that I was talking about. I found us always creating content in real time. We were in this uh, particular coach had a launch cycle in their business or a launch model in their business. So we were launching something every other month and the launch would take all our effort, right? Because it was email, very email marketing launch. So tons of emails to create there. And then we would get to the end of the launch and it's like, okay, now we need to like take a minute and shift gears and nurture our people. And that was still another, you know, hustle because we're already thinking about the next launch. And it was just, it was just kind of crazy. It just never seemed like we could get out of this real-time content creation. And then the other thing that seemed to not make sense to me was that we were spending a ton on ads and we couldn't really attribute whether or not like we could see that ads were coming in. And this was like way back when, you know, kind of cost for leads were like, you know, change and it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> wasn't like it is today. So maybe you spoke a little bit about that, but you know, we'd see the leads coming in, but we weren't really seeing that great of a conversion. And I was sort of like, why are we putting money into this like slot machine and not actually like seeing anything come out on the other side? So it's like, how do we get out of real-time content creation? How do we have more of our new leads actually become new clients? And I was sort of solving that problem was what had me come up with the way that we create nurture sequences in, in our business at Orisha today. And that really is thinking about what messages do your ideal clients need to receive after they join your list to move them along the buyer's journey so that they're ready to invest with you by next launch or if not before? And we've had people have that result wherein like their programs are filling ahead of time in the launch becomes like, you know, we don't even use the launch terminology. We use like open enrollment because, you know, whatever remaining spots will just fill them. But it was, it really hinges on remembering that everyone that, you know, joins your list, they have something going on for them. They're aware that there's like symptoms kind of of a problem. They maybe don't know what the problem is, but they're kind of aware something that you've said in your freebie, right. has kind right. of activated them. And it's like, I need to know a little bit more about that. Um, but once they join your list, some of them might be ready to step in and work with you right away, but that's a really small percentage like one to 2% of those people are going to be that sort of quick start 
energy and be like, yeah, I see them uh, gather whatever information I need. And I'm going to go ahead and book a call the next day. Really small percentage. The other 98, 99% of people are still like, I think I understand more from the freebie. Maybe I don't, maybe I need a little bit more and that's it. They just need a little bit more and they need specific messaging to help them, you know, move through the stages of the buyer's journey, awareness, you know, of the problem, getting clear on what's going on for them and that it actually, there are symptoms that can be attributed to a problem. Then, you know, okay, I've got the problem. Now, what are the different ways that I could potentially solve it, right? Going kind of through some exploration. And then ultimately into sort of the decision-making phase of the journey where it's like, all right, yeah, this is the problem. I think this is the way I want to solve it. And you, Josh, are the person I want to hire to help me, right? We all kind of go through this when we're buying different things, especially when we're buying services. And so it's remembering that if we really pay attention and kind of isolate what those messages are and give those to our people, we can create a nurture sequence that does the job of turning more of our new leads into new clients instead of just pumping stuff out. And again, kind of like hyper-focusing on, we just need more leads or we need better leads or we need more, more and more better leads, or we need to launch harder, heavier, you know, all of those pieces, right? We just, we spend too much time looking at both ends of the funnel instead of looking at the middle. And so that's really kind of what, you know, the approach that I like to take. Well, and and I love that. And I want to kind of hopefully the audience has a really firm understanding of this is that if you feel like your leads aren't converting or your funnels aren't working well or anything, 99% of the time, it's not because your button's the wrong color or your ad sucks or something. It really is simply because 20% of the sales will happen when they hit the page, right? Those are your hyper buyers, but 80% of your sales will happen through your email sequences. And if you talk to anybody who's successfully running a funnel of any sort, that's the numbers that they'll tell you. You know, it's like 80% yep. of my sales come a day or two later or up to even two months later from yep. through a nurture sequence and, and ascending people through that process. Exactly. Exactly. I think sometimes the challenge that I see is there are lots of different opinions, ideas, methodologies, you know, for creating a nurture sequence. And I think what's really important to remember is that the nurture sequence needs to be about your ideal client's buyer's journey, not about, you know, sort of your story and what you think they need to hear. Like it's, you really want to be focused on the conversation that your ideal clients are having with themselves as they consider the idea of um, solving their problem with you. Right. So you got to get in their head. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, and that's, that's ultimately what you do. So I hope people will go check out orishacreative.com. That's the place to connect with Tamika. So Tamika, just to kind of wrap this interview up, because we have covered a lot of different topics, what would be your final parting piece of guidance for our audience? Mm, Yeah, I would say, you know, really when you're thinking about nurture and when you're thinking about your program uh, or sorry, like the the delivery, because we talked a little bit about that too. Thank you. It's always fun to kind of reflect. Think about your people first right? Like what do they need to hear from a nurture perspective? What do they need to receive from a delivery perspective? And then look for the most efficient ways to be able to give them that. I think, you know, again, efficiency, I can't say enough about efficiency instead of looking at like, how can I do more and bigger and better? It's really not about that. It's about the quality always, not the quantity, you know, in kind of all things in content creation, in, you know, service delivery, you really can have it be simple if it's really focused on what your ideal peeps need. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Lucky Titan podcast. If you learned anything from this or any other episode, make sure you rate it and share it with another entrepreneur that could help. Thanks again. And I'll catch you on the flip side.